0: Good morning, it is 11.30am and you're tuned in to CFRC 101.9FM, broadcasting from Caruthers Hall on Queen's campus in Kingston, Ontario. I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist Christina Laurie and you're listening to Kingston Currents. CFRC's news programming is brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and the Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. In the next half hour, we'll be sitting down with Kathleen O'Hara with No Clear Cuts Kingston Incorporated to discuss the upcoming much-anticipated hearing regarding the tannery site and the rally NCK Inc. is hosting on Sunday. Next we will be sitting down with Marty McDermott, founder of Real Out Queer Film Festival, as the festival kicks off today celebrating its 25th year. After a long stretch of advocacy and fundraising efforts by No Clear Cuts Kingston Incorporated, the case for the Tannery Forest, Wetland and Wildlife will be heard by the Ontario Land Tribunal beginning on Monday, February 5th. No Clear Cuts Kingston Incorporated has been working for the last two years to stop a local developer from replacing the Tannery Forest and Wetland beside the Cataraqui River. In September of 2022, the previous City Council voted against the developer's proposal which consists of clear-cutting 1,800 trees and filling in part of a provincially significant wetland on the site before building. The developer appealed the city's decision to the Ontario Land Tribunal and the hearing will begin on Monday and span over the next five weeks. No Clearcuts Kingston Incorporated and the city have both hired expert witnesses who have already submitted statements regarding the importance of preserving the site and will be going head to head with the developer's team before the Ontario Land Tribunal. Since No Clear Cuts Kingston Inc. has come together, the Kingston community has rallied behind the cause, raising the funds needed to ensure the organization could hire the experts needed to make their case to protect the site. To discuss the efforts No Clear Cuts Kingston Incorporated and the Kingston community have put in leading up to this trial, their upcoming rally at RCHA on Sunday, and refresh on the case before the hearing, I sat down with Kathleen O'Hara of No Clear Cuts Kingston. Here's a bit of our conversation. I was wondering if you could start off with just some general background regarding the tannery land and where we're at. How did we end up here um, about to be before the Ontario Land Tribunal on Monday?
1: Well, um, I was out of town uh, about two and a half years ago. And I came back and someone said, oh, my goodness, they're going to cut down the 37 acre forest in the tannery area, the former tannery site. It was a, a tanning um there was a tannery there for quite a while, uh, but it hadn't been there for 50 years. So the land had just been sitting there. And uh, so I went over and checked it out. And I, I thought, we can't, we can't allow this, not when there's a climate crisis and we need our trees. So somehow I formed No Clear Cuts. I called it No Clear Cuts in Kingston, but it soon became No Clear Cuts Kingston, mm. And little did I know that it would take up the next two and a half years of my life. Um, But it's been wonderful. People, before I came back to town, I'd just been away for a few months. Before I came back, people had been putting up poetry and prose along the chain link fence. People had already been opposing the clear cut uh, before I got back and they were putting up poetry and prose about the value of trees, and, and it was just lovely. And then the developer uh, was taking them down, of course, but uh, we've got pictures of all these um, pieces of paper and these poems and prose works on the chain link fence. It's really quite a lovely sight. Um, by the way, just to warn you, I'm not allowed to say the developer's name <laughs> Um, I have to call him the developer or the appellant but he's fairly notorious around town they've just found black mold in one of his buildings on Princess Street so a lot of people probably can tell (laughs) who he is Uh, so we started or I started No Clear Cuts Kingston but I was really piggybacking on the work that people had already done but um, I just uh, I've learned that in most groups, there has to be at least one or two uh, or, or even a few more real leaders to keep things, to coalesce and to give it momentum and to help a, a, a campaign build. So I, I was the main one, but there were two or three people around me who really added a lot of research. There were some scientists, um, Laura Jean Cameron from Geography at Queen's, was really helpful, and Mary Louise Adams, and they 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 had done wonderful research about trees and the river, and so there was a lot to um, build on. Uh, but I'm the one who kind of I, I have a communications background, and so I was the one who was sort of writing press releases and and organizing um, a petition, but. Um, So uh, I'm just saying this because uh, anyone listening, if you're going to start a campaign, you just need a central core that really pushes things. You can't just be all over the map, you have to build. And that's what we did. And um, someone just wrote to me the other day and said that uh, she was listening to the city council meeting in September um, 22, when after a year of our fighting, city council voted against the development and that is very unusual because the planning staff were all for it and that the uh, chief administrative officer who lanny hurdle who wields a lot of power was all for it mayor patterson was all for it but somehow we brought around enough there when we first talked to a couple of the The councillors, they were all for it as well, but somehow over a year we presented them with enough facts that they just said, no, this isn't um, isn't the kind of development we want in Kingston. Uh, Why should we cut down all these trees when there are still areas around that area around that neighborhood where there can be building on uh, sort of scrub land. So um, we won. But it was a lot of work. I mean, we had to do, again, we had to do a lot of research, a lot of uh, outreach, uh, a lot of media work. We had a rally the day the planning committee met, um, the August before the final city council met. So there's planning staff, which are the, the bureaucrats, and then there's planning committee. And we convinced planning committee to vote against it in August, and then all of city council voted against it in September. So, uh, but of course, then the developer um, appealed to the Ontario Land Tribunal. So for the last year, we've had year and a bit. We had to get a lawyer. We had to incorporate, uh, and we've had to raise fifty thousand dollars. Uh, to hire expert witnesses. So we've learned a lot about the tribunal process, believe me.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the support behind you has been really impressive, though. I mean, you were able to raise that money to prepare for this trial.
1: Well, you're right.
0: One thing is
1: that we got a free lawyer. Our lawyer is mm-hmm. free from the Canadian Environmental Law Association. We had to apply. Um, so we've had we've had support. And then we were told that the best way to fundraise is through a group called a nonprofit called the Small Change Fund. So we applied to them and they've been keeping track. Anybody donating goes to the Small Change Fund. And we called it Stop the Chop. So you can Google Small Change Fund Stop the Chop. And they kept track of our donations and sent out tax receipts. I mean, it, without all this help, we couldn't have done it. There's no way we could have done this. So um, it it's just so important that these groups exist. That Cela exists. Free free legal help for for groups. That small change fund uh, exists. Free sort of accounting help for groups. And um, so we started, as as you said. Kingstonians have been very generous. We've had some top jo- donors, uh, John Grenville, if he's listening, uh, Jim Brown, um, Dougald Carmichael, who's a former Queens prof, just sent us a thousand dollars. People have been very generous. The bad thing, the bad news is that we just found out that we need another 10,000 because we've paid the expert witnesses, but now we have to pay them for appearing at the mm-hmm. tribunal. So huh. so we're going to have to raise another 10,000. Um, but the rally isn't to fundraise per mm-hmm. se, where it, we decided to have that before we found out about the 10,000. The rally on Sunday, this coming Sunday from two to five, at the RCHA, the Royal Canadian Horse Artillery Club. And we've got some great musicians. Um, Savannah Shea is a wonderful singer and and musician. And Frank Ryan is from, he's not on the poster because he thought he was going home to Dublin, but he's going to be around. He's very popular. He's at Tiernanog and the Toucan and Musiki. He'll be there. And um, Greg Tilson and a couple of his Buddies from the Gertrudes are going to play. So it should be lots of fun music. And then we'll have just a couple of speeches. We want to talk to people about how they can watch the tribunal and uh, more or less say what what I've just said about a bit about the process and what led us to where we are. And and get ready and have a party before the tribunal starts um, on Monday the 5th. And then the tribunal, the hearing will go for five weeks. So <laughs> it's, it's an exhausting process. Um, I mean, I'm afraid that the developer who has bottomless pockets um, will appeal, which is what Homestead did on Queen Street. And that's how they managed to, they lost the, at that point it was called the OMB, Ontario Municipal Board. They lost their first case, and they appealed, and then they won. And citizens can't raise that much money to fight these developers. I mean, we're doing what we can, but we're on basically shoestring budgets compared to them. And it's such an unfair system. It's so rigged. But we have to do what we can, and we are. and as I said, with Homestead on Queen Street, they appealed, and then they won. And now we're going to have—I don't know whether people know—but uh, 19 and 23 stories, right, a block from Princess Street. I think that's tragic. So we hope that we'll win, um, and that he doesn't appeal. But he's a pretty aggressive developer, and uh, so we'll we'll see. But um, let's fight one fight. <laughs> At a time.
0: In terms of fundraising, do you have any other plans uh, to raise that $10,000 or will that uh, have to come a little later?
1: I think it'll have to come a little later. We'll all be glued to watching the hearing. But one thing I want to acknowledge, um, one of the ways we've raised money is people have come to us. The two biggest Mm -hmm. ways we've raised money is um, Frank Ryan and his now wife, Morgan, came to came to me and said, we'd like to help you raise some money. So they organized this wonderful evening of music, again, Savannah Shea, Frank Ryan, Buck's Midnight Revival, and Spencer Evans, and they made beautiful music together in the back uh, on the back patio of um, Musiki. It was a lovely night, and we raised 1200 But then some students from Quebec and Kingston Youth Climate Quebec, I guess people know as Queen's Backing Action on the Climate Crisis and Kingston Youth Climate Action, came to us again and said, we want to help you and we want to organize a gala. So we had this gala. I mean, it was just an incredible event on November 3rd at Grand Hall. We made $12,000. Mm-hmm. So it's possible to to organize events like that. So maybe next September or something, we might have another big gala because as soon as we'd finished, we were all saying, let's do it again. <laughs> the students the students were absolutely amazing. They, they laid things out so beautifully around the hall. They laid the food out. They prepared the food at Banri. And then the silent auction, we had so much support from downtown businesses giving us uh, to, items or, or gift certificates for the silent auction. So we made 12,000. Oh, one of the big draws was David Suzuki. So we had him up on the screen and uh, he, he gave a speech, quite a long speech that was, people are still talking about it. It was so memorable. He was so feisty. So fed up with the status quo and with our leaders who aren't aren't doing anything about or aren't doing enough um, about the climate crisis, and uh, that includes City Hall here in Kingston. So uh, we've got a lot to do, uh, but the thing is, forests and the tannery forests. We have a climate crisis. We have a biodiversity crisis. The People, photographers have gone in to um, document the animals and birds around the tannery forest and wetland. Matt, Professor Matt Rogalski of the Music School of Music has gone in with an audio, has got audio tapes of frogs and birds, and um, which we're going to be playing at the rally. When you walk in, you'll feel like you're at the tannery with the sound of birds chirping. Um, so again, lots of help from wonderful people, but we have a climate crisis. We can't cut down 37 acres of trees and destroy a wetland. And, and we have a biodiversity crisis, so we can't just destroy habitat and basically kill animals and birds and butterflies while we chop down the trees another thing about the uh, the developer argues that and the city the mayor and city staff were arguing that this is a brownfield that's contaminated but scientists have said look the contaminants like chromium which was used in the ta- in the tanning process they've been they've sunk into the ground now after 50 years they're they're in the deep in the ground and if the developer goes in there as he wants to and cuts down all the trees. He's also going to take out 20,000 truckloads of earth, imagine the truck traffic, um, to get rid of the contaminants. But in that process, he's going to expose, dig those contaminants up, expose them to the air Things like chromium, if they're oxidized, if they come in contact with the air, become more toxic. It goes something like from chromium-3 to chromium-6. That will be brought up into the air again. And um, who knows about how much will get into the water as they're digging and chopping and and, uh, pulling up roots and things. And this developer has a bad history of uh, not caring about the environment he was fined for illegally dumping toxic materials so we're going to let him do this to uh, an area so close to downtown and the river and bell park and bell island oh it's just a travesty when i think about it
0: how are you feeling walking into monday well
1: we've got um we've got great expert witnesses. We've mm-hmm. got a ecotoxicologist, We've got a chemistry toxicology expert, a hydrogeology expert, a land use expert. The city has wonderful experts as well in heritage planning and traffic and uh, again, wetland ecology. So just to, just to make it clear, even though top city staff and the mayor and a a few councillors from the past council um support the clear cut the city legally has had to support the last council's vote and they've been very good the city lawyers and whoever has been working on it have hired some excellent witnesses as well In as i said in heritage planning and and uh, as I said, wet, wetland ecology, there's a wonderful woman who's, who seems very good at wetland ecology and why, why um, the developer says, uh, said that he could uh, build another wetland. Well, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got some excellent wet, witnesses um, with the city as well. And so we'll see. I mean, we are in Doug Fords, Ontario. I hate to be negative, but we are in Doug Fords, Ontario, so let's hope we get a fair hearing. Um, so far the process seems to have been very fair, and it will all be coming to a head on, on Monday, as you say. Um, that's why we wanted to have the rally the day before and just tell people, look, this is what's been going on, and when you watch. Because one of the another bit of good news is that when we when we applied or when we we had to apply for what they called party status at the tribunal. And um, the developers, lawyers said, oh, they sh- no clear cuts Kingston is just a third party. They, d- they have no right to appear. But the tribunal um, officer said we could. We could be a party and therefore hire a lawyer and witnesses. So that was the first bit of good news in terms of the tribunal letting us take part. Um, which was excellent. But the night the, another bit of good news is that our lawyer has been doing these cases since the 80s. He said he's never had as many participants, citizens, ap- apply to be participants. And, and when they did that, they had to submit a statement about why they wanted to be a, a participant, why they opposed the clear-cut um, and development. And uh, so we had about 80, and of course the, and he said that was a record in his experience. So good, good for Kingstonians again, in terms of just really participating, and and getting sticking their necks out. So um, of course the developers' lawyers tried to. First, they, as I said, they tried to stop us from being a party, and then they tried to disqualify several participants. But again, the tribunal didn't disqualify them. They, they saw that they, this was just really harassment. So, um, so far, so good. I know I've, I've said a few negative or, or frightening things, but process, but so far, so good. And we've got such an experienced lawyer, so dedicated, so we'll see. But that's why we want to have this rally on Sunday, just to give people a sense mm-hmm. of where we are and what's possible and why
0: it's so important. And 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 have some fun. Once again, that was Kathleen O'Hara with No Clear Cuts Kingston on the Ontario Land Tribunal hearing coming up on Monday for the Tannery site. As stated by Kathleen, on Sunday, February 4th, No Clear Cuts Kingston Incorporated is hosting a rally at the RCHA Club located at 193 Ontario Street from 2pm to 5pm. Attendees will have the opportunity to learn about the case before the hearing begins the following day, show their support for No Clear Cuts Kingston Incorporated, and enjoy music from special guests including Frank Ryan, Greg Tilson, and Savannah Shea. Before we get into more local news, I'm going to throw it to our weather and traffic report for this morning. For your weather today we're expecting cloudy skies with a 60% chance of flurries or drizzle changing to a 60% chance of rain showers or drizzle this morning. We have a high of plus 3 with a UV index of 1 or low. For tonight we're expecting still cloudy skies with a 60% chance of showers or drizzle this evening and after midnight. Winds will be 20km per hour before morning and we have a low of 0. Next up is May pollen
2: with your CFRC traffic report. And now for your CFRC traffic report. Please note that winter parking ban is still in effect as of January 1st, 2024. Motorists are advised that overnight on-street parking is not permitted during the months of January and February. Public Service and Procurement Canada wishes to advise motorists of an alternating lane closure on the South Causeway for major rehabilitation during the November 1st to April 30th period. During this time, one lane will be closed and one lane will remain open for alternating traffic. Motorists should expect short delays. Access will be maintained for pedestrians and cyclists. The PSPC encourages users to exercise caution while traveling on the bridge and thanks them for their patience. As for road closures this week, Market Street from King to Ontario will be closed January 30th from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. for the installation of Horizon at Springer Market Square. Additionally, University Avenue from Union to Earl will be closed until May 29th for the removal of debris from demolition and concrete deliveries at the Queen's John Dutch University Center project. Parking disruptions include the Chow Memorial Parking Structure Restoration Project, which is now in its final phase. The work is winding down, is close to completion, and expected to conclude in late February. The work is completed in phases to allow the building to remain open to public parking for the duration of the project. As such, phase work areas will occupy a maximum of 10% of the available parking stalls at a time. Up to 45 spaces will be out of commission. There is also parking availability at the Hanson Memorial and Robert Bruce Memorial Parking Garages in the two adjacent blocks. To the east. Upcoming parking lot closures include the Drury parking lot located at 57 Queen Street, which will be permanently closed on February 4th of 2024. This closure is to accommodate the expansion of the ongoing construction project at 18 Queen Street and 282 Ontario Street, known as Block 5. This lot will serve as a construction staging and parking for the project. The city has a range of parking options available to short-term parkers throughout Kingston. Community members can access alternate parking options by visiting cityofkingston.ca/parking. Recommended locations within a couple blocks include the Frontenac, Ontario, Brock, Barrack, and Angrove lots, as well as the Hanson Garage. Other delays include Queen Street from Montreal to Sydenham, which expect an eastbound lane closure until April 1st of 2024. Detours will be in place for the duration of the lane closure.
0: Thank you, May. The Real Out Queer Film Festival is celebrating their 25th anniversary, with their festival kicking off today and going until February 10th. Reel started back in 1999 as a working group project with the Ontario Public Interest Research Group with the goal of increasing the visibility of the 2SLGBTQ community and supporting queer, independent media artists across Canada and abroad. The festival has become the second largest queer film festival in Ontario and the longest running film festival in Kingston. After going through over 400 submissions this year, Reelout will be showcasing over 85 films from 35 different countries between February 1st and 10th, 2024. To chat a bit about the beginnings of the festival and how far the festival has come in the last 25 years, I sat down with the founder, community activist and artist, Marnie McDermott. To get us started, I was wondering if you'd like to maybe introduce yourself and talk a bit about your involvement with Reel from the start.
3: Uh, yeah, well, my name is Marnie McDermott, and I was one of the founders of Real Out, um, which I guess is kind of a shocking, 25 years ago. Um, and at that time, there really wasn't very much positive representation of queer lives, like in cinema or even in mainstream media. Like, it's kind of astounding to me to think about How different things were when we started the festival compared to how they are now.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you saw the importance of an event like this back then. I was wondering if you could speak to that and the importance of an event like this both back then and 25 years later.
3: Uh, sure. Well, you know, when we started the festival 25 years ago, I'll give you an example of mm-hmm. how different things were. So I see, you know, at that time we were starting a festival for a bunch of reasons. Like one was because there were very few like queer positive spaces where people could gather and form community. Mm-hmm. And so so one of the reasons was to get people together. And even though things have really changed quite a lot there you know Kingston doesn't even have like a queer bar or anything you know mm-hmm. like I think people still identify that there's a lack of queer like really kind of queer owned queer positive spaces in the community and so the festival serves that need for people and it also brings together a really diverse like cross-section of people because of the way that the festival is programmed and this has always been true Mm -hmm. of Real Out like we always took a kind of anti-oppressive approach to programming and did a lot to um, really highlight the intersectionality of people's um, identities and make sure that different people were reflected and different kinds of queer experiences were, were reflected in the programs that we did. So bringing together like diverse um, cross-sections of the community, and that can be in lots of different ways, like even in terms of uh, of age, right? Like bringing mm-hmm. people of diverse ages together, which happens like astoundingly rarely in general, I think, in society. Um, and then the other reason that, or function i guess of the festival when it started is and i think still is true is it was really a piece of political advocacy you know when we started the festival we um and this is a story that i was referring to at Mm -hmm. the beginning of this question we would go to the different media organizations to to want to ask them to promote uh what we were doing so this would be like your mainstream radio for example and at that time they wanted to there was a lot of discussion with the the stations about like why is this important why is this something that's actually relevant that should be promoted on like mainstream media for everybody to hear and one of the things that uh, people wanted to do was they didn't want to use the word gay or queer they wanted to talk about it as an alternative lifestyle mm-hmm. festival so that just that shows you like the kind of context that we were operating in in that time mm-hmm. that it felt like very political to walk downtown and put up posters that <clears throat> listed all of the films and uh, you know were so clearly like kind of uh, celebratory and out and proud, like all of those things were were super important. I think you mm-hmm. see that as important now too, right? Like you a huge mm-hmm. backlash against the way that our society has shifted in terms of understanding gender. And uh, you've seen that locally in terms of how uh, drag queens at like the Brockville Library were getting hate mail
0: yeah definitely well thank you for speaking to that and that's really shocking to hear that especially it was only 1999 that you guys were getting this off the ground i was wondering if you could also speak a bit to what that first year was like just getting things off the ground and um how you remember that experience
3: the festival started like many things do it started out of like a love relationship so mm-hmm. i was involved with a woman in toronto who was um on a programming committee of inside out which is a Queer Film Festival in Toronto. And so through knowing her, I was like, this is a great thing, like we should do this in Kingston. And so a colleague of mine, Stephen Maynard, I talked to him about it, and he was totally on board. And the two of us, uh, with um Roberta's help, decided to bring some films to Kingston. So she, you know, being on the programming committee, she had a really good eye for what was out there and helped create a, real, a, a, a one-night, like, collection of short films, and we had it in a gay bar um, mm. that was called Club 477 at 477 Princess Street, and the place was completely packed. Like, it was just overwhelming, the kind of response that we got for, the, for those films, and to collectively watch those stories and hear people laughing together, sighing together, commiserating together. um, It really showed us that we had to keep doing it. And so after that first year, we uh, got a whole bunch more volunteers and started a small um, collective of people that uh, decided to try to do this annually.
0: Yeah, that sounds like such an amazing experience for your first year. Do you have any favorite moments from your time with the festival?
3: it's kind of telling that some of the my favorite moments are moments that were well not my favorite the ones that stand out were ones that were really stressful um like it was a really low budget low tech event like so for example we were screening a film about black drag queens And at the screening room, and at that point, the screening room, we had to bring our own sound for some of the films because of the formats that Mm -hmm. they weren't on, you know, big reels. So we had to bring a lot of equipment. I'm not a super tech person, so this part always stressed me out. And, of course, Mm -hmm. something went wrong with the sound system. And so we came at the doors of the cinema after testing it and trying all kinds of things, and we didn't know what to do. We were standing on Princess Street, talking about this problem and this kid was nearby was who had it was on a skateboard kind of mucking around and I guess overheard our conversation and was like well I have an amp that I think would help <laughs> and skated off home and then skated back with their amp and came into the cinema and helped us set it up and then it was ready to go in time of the, of the show so that was a good moment. Another really kind of crazy moment was when we showed the film based on the Sarah Waters book, uh, Tipping the Velvet. And that was a screening on campus in um, a huge auditor- auditorium. And it seated a lot of people, like 400, I think, at least people. And it was packed. People were dressed up. It was an opening night, super excited. And the film hadn't arrived. Because (laughs) it was being sent from the States. And this was a huge stress when we were organizing back in the day because there would often be only, like, two copies of a film that existed, like, Mm -hmm. in the world. And they would have to be shipped across the border. And we always had trouble with, um, like, customs and things at the border. And so we had a broker that would try to get it, you know, facilitate that. And so there it is, a Friday night. The cinema is, you know, the auditorium is filled with people super excited to watch this film. And uh, and it wasn't there. And then, like, moments before the thing was supposed to start, there somebody had been driving it from the border, and it got there in time. And I think we started, like, half an hour late or something. But, um, yeah, we've also had just some amazing filmmakers come. hmm we had a great party with uh, filmmaker Jerry Rogers who did a screening called My Left Breast about breast cancer and uh, from Newfoundland, and she was a gem. We <clears throat> had uh, Richard Fung come from Toronto, like just these really memorable times of mm-hmm. because Kingston's small and because the festival is small, that it has a real um, kind of community, like intimate feel to it. Yeah. And it means that people get to actually meet the people who made these films and talk to them over a drink after seeing the, the, the movie. And so that's, that's, I think, one of the things that's really different about this festival than festivals in bigger cities is that it's so, uh, it's so accessible.
0: Yeah, definitely. It sounds like you've had all your own little movie moments at this movie festival, which is so fun. As a founding member, I was wondering what it's been like to watch Reel Out progress over the last few years. Oh,
3: it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I was involved with the festival for the first eight years. And then after about eight years, I was like, okay, I think, you know, it's like I want to go and do some other things. And I think the sign of a really great project is when um, when it has longevity, right, mm-hmm. when it matters enough to people in the community that there's a host of people carrying it forward. And so even though I was, you know, really involved in getting it to happen, after those early days, um, it was a, it's always been a crew of people who have mm-hmm. made this festival happen. And I think before you've organized an event like this, it's hard to have any idea of how much work it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the things that's been wonderful to see, is how many people uh, really care about it, how much it still matters to people. And they show that they care by putting their labor into, into making it happen and doing it with like, you know, like a spirit of kind of kindness and generosity and joyfulness. Um, and I think seeing people work together in that way you know, led sort of at the helm by, by Matt, who's just done a fantastic job, um, then that's, that's an amazing thing. And, and to see the festival really stay true to its kind of grassroots political mm-hmm. values, you know, that also, it's really resisted, I think, some of the forces that, that um, make, have made maybe some queer events more homogeneous. Uh, and that's an amazing thing, too.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I'm sure you're excited to be an attendee this year at the 25th anniversary. Is there anything in particular you're really looking forward to this year in the next, I guess, the next 10 days of celebration we have coming up?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited for the family program. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a kid, and uh, I know a lot of queer youth, and I think that having programs like that for Younger people to go and see is you know fabulous, and then I personally I love the shorts. So Mm -hmm. if there's a shorts program, I'm going to be there because you just you know you can't see that stuff any any other way. Really, it's very hard to access a lot of those films, Um, and it's also really interesting to see them group together, so the curatorial process that goes into making those shorts programs is also really interesting to me. So, there's one on Monday that's, I think, um, uh, films I think that they're films from the African continent, so all different countries across the continent, and then there's another shorts program that's about hopefulness. And anyway, there's a bunch of them, mm-hmm. so uh, those are exciting to me.
0: Once again, that was Marnie McDermott, founder of Real Out Queer Film Festival on the festival's 25th year. The full schedule of films and events, tickets and passes, and all things Real Out this year can be found at realout25.eventive.org. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for listening to CFRC's Local News Programming, brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and The Screening Room at screeningroomkingston.com. To hear more from our guests, be sure to add to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next.